This is Hacker Public Radio episode, 3403 for Wednesday, the 18th of August 2021. Today's show is entitled, Fourth on Microcontrollers. It is hosted by Brian in Ohio, and is about 22 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, a little more about Fourth, and a couple of chapters, in the novel of my life. This episode of HPR is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello, Hacker Public Radio. Brian in Ohio here. I'm out from under my rock. I'm sibleting and plosiving through another episode. This is uh, part two of my dive into the fourth programming language. And uh, I want to respond first to uh, a nice comment from KG on my last show. And I would love to hear a show about your time at SAO. Uh, that's the place where Chuck Moore started working on fourth. Uh, it seemed maybe that was at Harvard, though, in Boston, not in Arizona. I'm not sure. But who knows, maybe uh, KG crossed paths with Chuck. Uh, as far as fourth's readability, um, I find that when looking at fourth code, somebody else's fourth code, that starting at the bottom of the listing and working your way is up, up is the way to go. So an example of this would be uh, I've made a, an alarm clock uh, using a popular microcontroller board, and at the very bottom of the listing is a word, clock, that is defined as set up and operate clock. And then you work your way up to set up, and then set up as a procedure to initialize all the ports and variables. And an operated clock is a, a breakable endless loop. That sounds kind of, uh, doesn't make any sense, but I'll explain it when I get to that project in the future. Um, and that endless loop pulls some of the keys and does some clock stuff. And then you can just work your way up through each word to try to to try to understand what's going, uh, and then the other thing you have to do when you're looking at fourth code is that you have to realize that unlike other languages, there fourth um, everything in a fourth listing is a word. There is no punctuation. There's no there is syntax, but the syntax is this: a word is defined by some ASCII characters surrounded by spaces and words are defined and put into the dictionary and that's done by a symbol that we say is colon you know when you when you were to, if you didn't know fourth you'd see a colon but that act, that colon isn't just sin, like punctuation it's an actual fourth procedure so there there is no syntax sugar in fourth and and that's beautiful uh and the reason I think it's beautiful is, is, is because it follows. When you program in C, the asterisks can mean different things in different contexts. But in fourth, it has only one definition 
in the dictionary that you're using. And that being said, uh, an asterisk can mean different things in different, well, let's go back to the C. In C, uh, an asterisk can mean multiplication. It could also mean a pointer. And then you get a bunch of, point, you get a bunch of, of asterisks together and you gotta figure out, is that a pointer to a pointer or a pointer? You know. So it becomes, I think, even more confusing than fourth in some ways in the sense that you have to not only look at the, at the symbol, you have to figure out from the context what the symbol means, uh, which actually kind of makes compilers even more amazing in some ways. Um, but in fourth, it's not that way. An asterisk means one thing, usually multiplication, and uh, it takes two numbers off of the stack, and it multiplies them and puts the result back on the stack. And But you could redefine that if you wanted to, and that's the other thing that makes fourth hard to read in that, that every fourth dictionary, every fourth system is unique. Um, they, the, what's the, the old adage is uh, when you've seen one-fourth, you've seen one-fourth. And that, and that means that because you're building definitions in fourth, there's probably no two-fourth systems that are going to be exactly alike because there are going to be words in that dictionary that are different than other words or not available in other other systems. But you can always add words, and if you have something that you like and you're on a system that it's not there, you can probably define it for yourself. Um, the only thing I will say about that is that, well, two things I'll say about that. This makes doing fourth standards difficult because fourth, what does that mean? Uh, but I think that by fourth standards, they're like the fourth 2012 standard has a series of words that they consider the core core system. And all fourth systems should have this. And then they have a bunch of different uh, groups of worth, core extensions and tools and things that exist that aren't necessarily required for a fourth system to be fourth 2012 compliant, but they're there and defined. And, and, and so at, as a minimum, when you re find a word in fourth, Let's say, let's use one uh, uh, a, a definite example here. So there's a, there's a word in fourth spelled D-U-P. It's pronounced dupe. It does the same thing on all fourth systems. It takes the first item on the stack and it, puts a, it copies it and puts that, that copy on top of the stack. So you end up with two copies of two, two of the same things on the top of the stack. And that dupe works the same on all systems. And there's generally, you know, a minimum, there's somewhere between, you know, there's probably 150 words that you need to, to make a, a minimal fourth system. And then you can build from there. Um, and then, uh, so that's, so you, you'll, you'll always find the word dupe in a fourth system, but you may not find the word forget in all fourth systems. That's, that's, what, that's enough on that. Uh, lastly, um, another thing you'll find as you as you start working in fourth is because everything has is a word, er, er, there things are named, and you say things. Uh, so an example would be when you see an exclamation point, you'll start saying in your mind, uh, "store." That exclamation exclamation point is a fourth word that takes the value 
on the top of the stack and stores it in the address that you've provided prior to that, the second item on the stack, and stores it into that um, into that register or into that in that place in memory. Uh, it's it's kind of a pointer or a, your it's a it's a, a pointer type function that uh, in forth. But what you'll find is you'll be reading a novel and you'll see an explanation point and your in your mind will say you'll say store and then you know you've fallen down the fourth rabbit hole. So my fall into that rabbit hole starts back uh, in 1984. Um, I was uh, the Commodore 64 came out that year, and unfortunately, or fortunately as the case may be, uh, unlike some people, I was a little bit too old to really get excited about that. I was just starting college, and college uh, at that time still hadn't. There weren't a lot of computer, wasn't a lot of computer usage in college. Even though I was a math major, uh, we had we did some work on mainframes, but there was nobody had home computers for the most part. And uh, basically, I was into into uh, girls, cars, and airplanes. Not necessarily in that order, but that was my life. And so I didn't really get into the early Commodore 64 uh, craze of computing. I, I knew they were there, and I played with computers a little bit, but it wasn't really a core part of, of what I was doing at the time. And um, and so, kind of, I kind of missed out on on that part of the early home computer world um, and by by 1991 I had a family and I was in the military and I I finally got a Commodore 128 and that was the beginning of a lot of computer stuff for me I I uh, subscribed to a, mag, a, a disc magazine called Commodore it was called Lodestar I think I got every issue of Lodestar still and uh, and they would come in little discs in the mail and you would and it had all kinds of cool programs on it that you could mess with. Um, and also at that time, I basically started playing around on, on what was going to become the Internet, you know, bulletin board systems and things like that. It was so finally had the time, money, and uh, energy to try out some of these things. It, was very, it became very interesting, and that's when I kind of got into programming at that time. Um, and then from about, I'd say from 95 to 2001, I was uh, in the valley of the shadow of death. I was a Windows user. I, I didn't really know of anything else. But like most people who have switched to Linux, uh, who started out as Windows users, I became more and more disappointed in the system. And, then I, and I'm pretty sure it was when they, made, they were going to try to make me pay for an upgrade to maybe to Vista or something like that. I said, forget it, and that's when I found out about Linux and started my, my, my world, uh, my move to the world of Linux. Uh, but that's an, maybe another episode of, for now. Uh, so about 2002, um, I found a book in the library call about building a, a robot that was controlled by transistors. And I had always been sort of a little bit interested in electronics, and and I thought that would be kind of a fun project to do with my son. And so we put together a little robot using transistors, and it worked okay. This is kind of a, a bump against the wall, change direction kind of thing. Very simple, but very cool. And that was sort of what got me into the maker movement. Um, uh, 2000 and 
by by 2005, maybe 2005, uh, was when I think the first Make magazines came out. I was building stuff with electronics at that point, and and the maker movement was really interesting to me. I went to some maker fairs and subscribed to the magazine and uh, tried different things. Very cool, and it was probably at this time that I that I became uh, I had already known that working with microcontrollers was was very cool and and so I started working I got a basic stamp basic stamp was a uh, system on chip I think we would call it now with a basic interpreter never really did anything with the basic stamp I think I bought it and never really used it but then I bought a pickaxe pickaxe was a a pick microcontroller with a basic interpreter on I think it was in the EEPROM it was it was uh, protected and it you could it was very arduino like you could but it was in basic you would bite and i knew basic you know i think everybody by that point had known had learned some basic programming skills and uh the um so i i uh played around with pickaxes and they they were kind of cool too and i made some stuff flashed some leds and can't even, i don't think i made any big projects and then arduino came along and I'm not going to go into a whole history of Arduino, uh, but uh, when the Arduino boards came out, those looked extremely, I saw that this is very cool. This is not only a, a, a board, a, it's a programming environment, and there was, our, it, right at the beginning, there was already a lot of cool um, open source um, uh, resources out there that you could get projects moving and going using an Arduino. And so my first Arduino was actually the make-it-yourself single board Arduino. I think if you dig around their site, there's still uh, boards. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, PDFs on, on how to make the board. And, and it, you know, I etched my own boards and put it together and drilled out the 5,000 holes that were in that thing. It was it was fun and then I bought an Arduino and and just moved on from there uh, but it, it, there came a point there using Arduino that I realized there was limitations in certain things some of the interrupts didn't work uh, the more you know there was like registry access was weird and it did obscure there's some level of obscurity that sometimes you, you would find yourself doing something and you'd go well why did that fail and then you realize the, the library that you had installed to make whatever hardware work didn't wasn't very well written and it just turns out that you're probably better off for some of these things just to write your own library and that's what i did i think it was with the lcd uh, module the, the little uh, little character lcd modules that everybody uses that was my first driver that i built and it was kind of cool to see oh this is what's behind uh all that arduino code. that's like one line of arduino code is you know, hundred lines of C code to get the to get your LCD up and running. So I began uh, programming the Arduino boards in C, uh, and you end up in that wonderful world of uh, write, compile, test, debug. You know, you you write some code, you compile it, you throw it on the board, you try it out, it fails. You try to figure out why it fails, and you go back, and it's just endless kind of cycle that can can be especially if you're if you're compiling a, a pretty big source file it can take a little while and, and it just it's a little bit frustrating 
but it was what it was, and I learned a lot in in programming in C and and uh, and I'm not I'm not uh, I'm happy I did it. But along this time, I also started getting into Lisp through through my use of Emacs uh, and Emacs. Uh, and I, so I learned some Lisp, and Lisp is a very cool language. And, and fourth, it, at its root, is a list processing language. It, 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 it's a lot like Lisp in the sense that it looks through this list of, of definitions to try to figure out what's, what to do next. And if it, if it can't find it, it throws an error if it, it, or it tries to make it a number or whatever. Uh, so anyway, along comes a... Um, I found, you know, just as, I, as you're searching around, a guy, and I will put the link in the, in the show notes for his site because it's, stu- it's still a live project, and it's very cool. It's, it's MicroLisp. Uh, MicroLisp is Lisp on an AVR microcontroller. And, and so I, when I saw this, I was like, this is very, very cool because you're not, you're, now you're not doing this write-compile-test-debug cycle. You're working at the repel. And you can, uh, you can type stuff in and see it work. And then if you like it, you can save it and store it and then recall it. And MicroLisp is pretty cool. But it has its limitations. It doesn't really give you a lot of coding space on, on, on the Arduino controller because its size is pretty big. And he's, he's sort of uh, tied himself to the um, Arduino environment for its, use, for its uploading uh, the the base stuff anyway it's uh, it's a cool project but it's uh, I saw its limitations and it was something I just kind of tinkered with and then uh, and then uh, during this time I started watching uh, some YouTube videos by Ben Eater uh, Eater.net I think is his thing I'll put links again in the show note for this he is a guy who built one of these uh, no CPU computers on a breadboard and then he and then he's also got some videos on building a 6502-based computer on breadboards. Now, uh, his his videos are really worth watching. Uh, very well done. He's a really he's got a really great way of explain, explaining stuff that's pretty uh, complicated, and yet he does it in a way that you can really understand. But uh, that 6502 is, of course, the 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 um, uh, the core of the Commodore pro, of the Commodore computers, and so that, of course, was my early computer life. The you know 6502 based, and uh, so I thought, oh, that's that'd be kind of cool to do a 6502 single board kind of computer home built thing. So I found a site 6502.org, I think it is, and there's all kinds of projects on that on that. Um, site and it was there that I discovered fourth and one of the things it was fourth on a 6502 and I started reading about it and I did some more looking around and and lo and behold there's fourth there were fourths available for AVR microcontrollers so that's when I discovered um, the first one which was e fourth which is classic there's there's books I'll put some links again uh, there's books on that show the complete source code for uh, uh, fourth E fourth, and it's by written by uh, it was developed by a man called Chen Hansen Ting. Uh, the book that I that's uh, classic is the Arduino and E fourth, 
very cool book, really describes forth at its, at its roots. Uh, and is, even if you never put eForth on, on an Arduino or anything, it's, if you're into forth, that's a good book to look at. Then I just found another project called AM Forth. It's very robust. It's been around for years, and it is um, uh, forth for AVR microcontrollers and some other boards. And it's it's pretty full featured. Uh, and then I found uh, the forth that I'm using now, which is Flash Forth. I like Flash Forth a little better than AM Forth because of its it's the way it's unified the memory. Um, the system it doesn't use the EEPROM for any part of its actual core system. It has some words built in, uh, one of them being marker that, is, that you have to add to AM4th anyway, but it's already built in. And there's some other convenience kind of things that are built into uh, FlashForth, specifically for the AVR that make it, um, AVR microcontroller that make it easy to use um, when you're using Forth on an AVR microcontroller. I think I will stop there. Uh, that's how I got into fourth. Oh, I might I might add, uh, there is of course MicroPython out there, but uh, you, I won't, I try to avoid using Python. Uh, I don't really like it. So anyway, I, but maybe you'll love MicroPython, but that's another one where you can, I guess, do stuff right at sort of a repel, a command line and get things to work. Uh, but I've settled on fourth for my interactions with the microcontrollers and uh, so I'll stop there. I'll, on the next show, I think I'll uh, talk about putting forth on an AVR microcontroller board. Um, maybe I'll try to show a, diff a few different ones, uh, how to get them installed and, and maybe my, my uh, little bit of, of uh, um, a review of them. And then after that, I guess this is going to expand to more than three shows, and then I'll, I'll talk about doing that Hello World program. But for now, uh, it's uh, Brian in Ohio here. It's, uh, thanks for listening. If you have any comments, leave a comment. Make a show yourself about uh, MicroPython or anything that sounds cool, hackery. Uh, oh, one last thing. I wanted to talk about... Um, uh, that guy on the internet, the last show that I listened to where he's talking about um, working at the, the command line, very good episode. Uh, he is a guy who, although uh, when, I, when I sometimes make comments about apt-get and stuff, he's not that guy. He's, he is a guy who's digging, learning, and and I didn't even realize you could do all that stuff with apt-get and stuff and, and searching and, and a very, very good episode. And so when I make fun of people using apt-get as their solution to a programming problem, it's not a person like that guy on the Internet. I'm talking about a person who stops at apt-get and doesn't dig any farther, who just is happy with the, you know, just some blind incantation and who knows what ends up on your system. So anyway, enough of that. Uh, till the next show, Brian in Ohio signing off. And I'd like to say that a life without risk is a life not worth living. Take care. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. 
Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Thank you.